I'm Dr. John Berkey. This is Forward to the Future, Conversations in Superintendent Leadership. This is season two, which features insightful interviews on leadership with the retiring superintendents in the Large Unit District Association in Illinois. It's an opportunity to learn from educational leaders as they look back on their careers. Well, I'd like to welcome everyone to Forward to the Future and continuing our series with retiring superintendents, people who've spent uh, their most of their career in education and a good part of it being a superintendent. And today we are going to talk with Superintendent Lee Lewis, who for 15 years, yeah, remarkable, 15 years has been the superintendent of Triad, which is a district uh, in the Metro East area outside of St. Louis. So Lee, welcome to, uh, welcome to our podcast and thank you for being with us today. Thank you. I'm happy to to um, to talk with you this morning. So 15 years. I mean, that's a phenomenal run as a superintendent, especially in one district. So we're really looking forward into uh, some of the, the leadership lessons and some of the other things you can share with us. So would you start by just briefly tell us about Triad? What's the district? How big is it? What's the district like? Well, Triad, it's a district that in 1954 um, combined um, three communities combined to make up one district. And that's St. Jacob and Marine and then Troy. So those three communities make up Triad. But if you go back and, you know, on occasion I've done this, if you go back into the archives, you'll find that all three communities had their own high school at one time. But in 1954, they did um, vote and they decided then to make a central high school. And even to this day, there still continues to be a little bit of um, rivalry between, you know, sometimes between the three communities only because Troy is the largest in population and then St. Jacob and, and Marina are a bit smaller and, and the high school now um, does sit in Troy where for a long time up until um, two th the year of 2000, it was located in St. Jacob. So you can imagine that when you combine three communities and centralize the district that there's always some you know, there's, there's, I guess, some unity issues that you have to work through and continue to make a priority. But um, it is, it's in a great location. Triad sits very centrally um, located in, in the Metro East where you can get just about anywhere, whether you're crossing the river into the city or if you're going to O'Fallon, Edwardsville, Collinsville, um, Granite City, many of those communities probably sound familiar to, to people. They've heard of them or played sports um, or traveled south to um, visit one of those communities. And then those communities are a little bit larger than, than Triad, but Triad's certainly been growing and um, we can expand. We're a district that certainly has a lot of land. We cover right now 121 square miles. So that- um, Really, really large, right. yeah. How many students do you have? We have 4,000. We were right, yeah. uh, you know, we probably have maybe a few more, but we've been right on that cusp of breaking 4,000 now for um, about two years. And now we're finally over that. So we're, we're right, at, right at that mark. Okay, great. So as I said, you've been a superintendent for 15 years, but what, what jobs did you have in education before that? And what, what made you decide to <clears throat> end up moving into administration and the superintendency? Well, I started out as an elementary teacher. I, I certainly I have no one in my family that is an educator. Um, uh, my 
I grew up in a funeral home. Uh, funeral home. I moved to Troy when I was two, and my dad purchased a funeral home. We had an ambulance service. Um, we um, we also dispatched all of the fire um, the fire calls when I was young and growing up. And um, but I always wanted to be a teacher, so I was a little bit of an oddball in in the family, not wanting to go um, into some of into that business. But I, I played school when I was little. I always wanted to be a teacher and I followed my dream and I became an elementary teacher. I did that for seven years before I became a high school English teacher. And I did that for three years before I had the opportunity to move into administration. And uh, I started as a part-time assistant principal at an elementary school that was very overcrowded. We had every other day, full day kindergarten, which was interesting. Then we, um, that's how we controlled the, the number of students in this elementary school. It was 600, but it was really built for about no more than 300. So there were some challenges there and I came on board just part-time. Then the new high school was built in the year of 99-2000 in our district and that gave the, um, the opportunity for movement. So then all of the, the current buildings shifted. They shifted around and one of the older elementary buildings became basically a second grade center. So I took on that um, principalship as well as I wrote the early childhood block grant and I was the administrator for the early childhood block grant. And um, so that was my experience for six years before I decided that, uh, and I studied at SLU um, to continue my education and um, to not necessarily with the thought of being a superintendent, that really wasn't my goal. I really wanted just to get into curriculum and NCLB was big at that time. And our district really didn't do a lot with it, but I was very curious and reading instruction was something that um, I too had a, a special interest in. So I thought that curriculum is what really what I wanted to study. I wanted to study more of um, collaboration and how do you get teachers to work together, especially with, that was too, that I got into education about the time all the state tests were coming about as well. So um, that's really was my interest, but I was hired as an assistant superintendent in 2005. And then that first year, which I love, I absolutely loved my first year as assistant superintendent. And I um, was, getting my feet wet and trying to learn um, everything there was to learn about the central office as well as leading teachers, which I loved. And we started, we hired a reading director and we made a, a few initial changes with our, with our reading program, with guided reading that first year. And then the superintendent um, decided that he was going to um, put in for his resignation in one year and gave the board notice that he would only be working one more year. He had, um, actually this was like, his, at the time, the superintendent at the time was uh, coming from uh, retirement and it was kind of like a second you know, career. So he worked in Missouri and retired and then came over to Illinois and took the position as um, triad superintendent. So I think he had, um, probably had about four to five years in and then some things in his life changed and he decided to retire early, a, a second retirement early. Then that was when I had to make a decision. The, the, the board um, 
came to me and asked if I had any interest. And at first I was like, no, I, I'm learning this job. You just got the I, job I, you always wanted, right? I did. I was in my dream job. I was like, this is really where I want to be. And then I had a few other people talk to me and say, hey, you know, if you don't do this, you might never, might not ever get the opportunity. Sometimes it's all about timing. Um, you know, and I gave all the reasons why I didn't think I could do it. You know, I don't know enough about finance. I don't know enough about building and grounds. I, you know, there's some areas that I'm not um, 100% confident in. And, and many people told me, you don't have to be an expert in all areas. You'll hire people or you'll surround yourself, which definitely is a lesson I've learned. Um, surround yourself with people, good people that will help you and you'll build a team and and that's what's the most important thing for your success is being superintendent. So I thought about it. And um, luckily, I had a few people that had enough confidence in my leadership and thought that I would be a good fit for Triad. And so I, I took the position, really absolutely scared to death about a superintendency. But I kept thinking, and, and, and I had reassurance that I could still do the curriculum work as a superintendent. They kept telling me, you don't have to give up curriculum. You don't have to give up some of the things that you love and you're passionate about. Um, you just have to find people that are good at the areas that you want to delegate some of, some of that too. So, and that's, that's kind of what, how I got into this position. And, you know, I've been very blessed to to have 15 great years at Triad. Well, what a great, what a great story. And I think, you know, one of the takeaways from that is definitely sometimes career paths, the way you think they're going to go, and then what's presented to you are two different things. And people have to be flexible. I mean, like you said, you were, you were looking, you know, forward to a tenure as an assistant superintendent, but mm -hmm. when the superintendency came up, you left at it and here we are 15 years later. So okay. um, great, a, a great story. So let's talk about some of these things you've learned over the last uh, 15 years and really your whole career. And I think you've, you've got six kind of uh, leadership lessons that you can, uh, you can share with others. So why don't you start by uh, talking about those? Well, I think I'd start with, um, talking about the importance of just building relationships, both internally in uh, in the district and externally in the communities. Um, I again, I had definitely that I was fortunate to live in the community since I was young, and I had a lot of contacts. Of course, you you know, growing up in a funeral home and in the business that my dad was in, I, I knew quite a few people, and um, I so I think that too paid off. I continued that. I continued to build those relationships. And um, and as I got more experienced, I learned just how important they were. I don't think I knew it at the time, but over the years, it became more apparent just how important those relationships were. People um, trusted uh, that trusted me enough to come to me when there was certain concerns or that they just needed somebody to listen. So that was helpful. Or when there were really big problems that came up, um, I felt like I could better problem solve by just having re better relationships with, with people both in, in the district and outside of the district. So I, I would say that um, even looking back, I, I wish I would have even spent more time earlier in my career. But again, you don't know everything when you start and right. some of the things you just have to learn as you go. But I think we all now in, in administration, especially over the challenges in the last few years, know the importance of, of building those relationships with our, with our colleagues, with our constituents, and how valuable that is. So that's I think that's a great, 
Yeah, no, that's a great, that's a great point. So what's your second one? My second one is um, just strive to be productive and positive in how you form relationships with your associations. We have three in triad. We have our professional teachers association. We have an educational support association and we have a custodial maintenance association. And then they have officers in each one. And again, I've been very fortunate to have a good working relationship with all three of those associations, I always have. I had good mentors before me. Um, I, I've sat through so many negotiations. I don't think I've gone a summer without mm -hmm. negotiating a contract or, or working on some type of MOU. And I would have to say there's um, mutual respect and understanding. Uh, very few times have we ever had to really be at odds about a particular issue. And, um, and even when we were maybe uh, once or twice in my career, we still did it in a very professional, productive way. Because again, you know, that there are times where you're going to, feelings are going to be hurt, or you're going to have to, you know, definitely agree to not agree, you know, just, you don't agree on, on some, on some things, but if you can find a way to work through it and be productive and stay positive in the outcome, keeping kids and, you know, our students as the center and the priority of the decisions that we're making. Um, and that's hard when you're talking about unions and they're fighting for their rights and what's best for them. But um, sometimes you, you have to step out and say, but we have to keep in mind what our mission is and what we want to do for our triad families and students. And so that I would say would be my second lesson. That's, no, that's great. And I think, I think the key of what you said there is it's so important to have mutual respect mm -hmm. and, and that respect, you know, when it goes both ways, will get you through those challenging times with, with associations. Cause the challenging times are going to happen. Like you said, right. that's, that's it, it. It's how do you deal with them? Not that they won't, they won't happen. So no great lesson. What's your third one? My third one is, you know, and I mentioned this earlier, is to surround yourself with good people. You know, the hiring process and, and finding people um, to work in your organization or in your district is just um, so important to have those good people. And sometimes things don't work out the way you expect them to work out and you have to deal with it. And, and it might be unpleasant, but again, it's something that you have to work through because I think that you have to have good people, people that are dedicated and um, are hardworking and will continue to want to, to grow in your, in your organization and put their best foot forward is really what will make, um, make you proud and make your district stand out. And so I think that, that had, I've learned over the years that I've surrounded myself with great people. I mean, work ethic, you know, just, I can't even say enough about the work ethic and the expertise that they bring to our team and what they do. And um, if you would visit any of our board meetings and listen to the reports, they're very thorough. They're, you know, they're very forward thinking. And, um, and so I just, again, I feel like that has absolutely contributed to my success over the 15 years is the, the talent um, of the people that, I've, that I work with. So if I can ask you a follow-up, how did you find these people? So was it, was often, was it people that grew up from the inside or was it uh, people from, uh, from outside? Mostly internally. I would say in my case, in my experiences internally, and I have a story about my, the, my current assistant superintendent. He 
started in the district. He came over from Highland. He had a science background and he came from the Highland district. And, and he actually got promoted in their district into technology. So he was a really a technology guru comes over and I didn't have anything to do with this. And he um, started as a tech director, a triad, but then he definitely um, just his leadership in tech ended up being so phenomenal that we encouraged him to get his type 75 in administration. And so he did, even though he said, I never want to be a building principal. I never want to do that, you know, but I could tell there was always a little bit of a disconnect with his, with his tech initiatives. And you can imagine how this was the times when we were really starting to, you know, um, you know, have Wi-Fi and have devices for kids and so forth. I mean, so we're, we're talking about the 90, you know, late 90s and early 2000 when, you know, we still had like TVs and classrooms, but I could, I could tell you that um, he was forward thinking, but yet he, he missed, he missed a little bit of understanding the, the principalship. So we had cuts and I said, this is a perfect opportunity for you to go and be a principal just for a short period of time, help us out. And, and he started job shared. We did some job sharing and he would, he was absolutely a phenomenal principal um, for a smaller elementary building. And then he learned what it was like to be um, in the shoes of a principal. So it made him a better tech director when he got out of that short stint as a principal. Um, and he, and, and so there were stories like that. And now he's the assistant superintendent. No, great. Again, what? No, I was a great story. Yes, it is. and you know, and, and we're a great team. And so sometimes you, and he's not the only one, but you see a spark in someone or you see something that someone in what they, what they can bring to your, um, to your group, whether you're at central office or in a building um, and you say that they, they're talented in this way. And so maybe they could provide, um, provide this for the district. And we did this one time with instructional coaching. We, but um, we advance some teachers into instructional coaches and we, sometimes you have to make decisions based on who you are working with and what you see is what they can bring, um, you know, to the table. And that's, I think, um, how I find people, you have to really be intentional and you have to pay attention to what their strengths are and be attention. You have to pay attention to, to how they work with other people, because the, the hardest thing is having someone in a, in a district, an educator, anyone that has a job, but it's not a good fit. Um, so that doesn't, it, it's not good for kids. It's not good for um, creating that culture that you want and that, um, that environment of positive energy and positivity. So that's kind of, I think internally would be what my experience has been, but not to say that on occasion, we don't steal oh, sure. <laughs> another yeah. district. Find, you find that right person from outside. What's yeah. your fourth leadership lesson? Okay, my fourth leadership lesson is, um, and I learned this early on, be careful never to back yourself in a corner. You know, those absolute types of decisions or answers, sometimes when you're challenged with um, a, a principal calling or a parent calling and demanding you know, I want this, um, I want my child moved out of this classroom and into this, into this, into a different teacher's classroom, or, um, you know, it could be to something that has to do with discipline and, and policies. And we know how no, to no zero tolerance policies don't work. So it, 
kind of goes along those lines. But there have been so many times I've worked with with principals on that don't back yourself in the corner type of thing. And even teachers, because sometimes it's like, well, if, if you do this in my classroom, then this happens. And that's that's just the way it is. And, um, you know, I don't I don't I don't change for anybody. And I think that those are absolutely um, that that doesn't work because we're all human and things happen in our lives. And there's reasons sometimes um, that mistakes are made or things are forgotten um, and, or you miss a deadline or or maybe there's a, a teacher and a student that don't get along and a change in environment is going to be helpful to both of them, not just one. It's not one-sided. Um, and, and so again, sometimes I think drawing that line in the sand and saying I'll never do something is, is, is something I, I think a, a superintendent should always stay away from. It's a great, no, that's a great piece of advice. How about your fifth one? My fifth one is um, be willing to solve problems creatively, um, even if it means more work and more time, because I think sometimes people are looking for quick fixes, something that we can do and just, you know, move on, get it fixed and move on. And, um, you know, many times it, it, it takes that initial knee jerk reaction of I'm mad. I want to, you know, I want to go to the most extreme um, way to, to deal with a problem. But after 24, 48 hours, you calm down and then you realize that there's probably a, a creative, better solution, but it is going to take more planning um, and uh, maybe more, more people involved in getting the solution that you really desire. And it's more work and you have to convince people that it's okay and to put in more, more time and, and more work. But um, generally speaking, that um, it's, a, it's a good way to solve a problem. Good. What about your sixth one? And my last one is um, never ignore phone calls or emails from parents or um, or staff. So, you know, I answer my phone. I'm very, I, people always say, why do you answer your phone? You should just let it go to voicemail and then kind of, you know, answer it after you know what they're, what they're after, what the caller is after. Or, you know, sometimes um, emails too. I can say I probably lost an email here or there, but, but most, um, you know, I try to, 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 I really strive to do the 24 hour um, rule for answering emails. And if I can't, I might just shoot them something that says I'm tied up, I'm busy, but I will get back to you. Just be patient and I'll, I'll get back to you. Just some acknowledgement that I received it and that I will get back, get back to them. Now, yes, you know, especially during the pandemic, did I get a lot of emails that sometimes I, it was hard for me to resist responding to because I like to respond. But that was probably the only time that on occasion, I would say, I don't know that um, they were looking for a response, that maybe they were just venting or sharing their thoughts and feelings. And just to acknowledge that I received it was enough and um, just to share that I appreciate their feedback. And um, I think it's always important that, you know, they direct their feedback to me instead of on more social media outlets that I am appreciative of that. So I found ways to, to you know, shortcuts in some, in some ways in dealing with people that are, that are just venting. Oh, that's, uh, I, I think, I think really good advice. And I think people, 
you know, especially when they're angry, they just, they just want to be heard. And so right. I think, I think just no response sometimes will just inflame any situation. Even if you can't give them the response they want to hear, they still, right. I think, usually appreciate getting some, some response. So what a, what a great group of six leadership lessons. But before we're done, though, I've got a few, a few other questions for you. So when you look back on your whole, um, when you look back on your whole career, what is one of the most challenging issues that you've you faced as a leader, and how did you uh, how did you work through it? Um, that was that was a little bit of a um, it's a that's a hard question because you know you can always think of a few times that um, whether it was a grievance that was filed or or um, just some kind of odd situation that would come up and you had to deal with and it consumed in, in just an inordinate amount of time. But um, the one thing I think that, um, that I'll never forget going through is a teacher dismissal. And we had a 10 year teacher that um, was um, brought to our attention that she had, that she had copied some um, state testing materials. And so we had to go through a, a teacher dismissal and, oh, it was hard. It was hard because, you know, you, you divide um, faculty, you divide uh, some of the families and parents because, you know, they want to support one side or the other. And um, it was just a very, it, it was, it was difficult too, because there's connections in smaller communities. There's always connections, connections with um, people maybe that had worked in the district and had long careers in the district previously that are connected to that particular person. And, um, but it was one of those things I had to keep telling myself that you can't ignore, there are certain things you cannot ignore. And when you get down to it, um, I had a responsibility to, the, to those um, faculty that brought it to my attention and had concerns. And I had to move forward and get legal counsel involved and take those steps that, that were necessary. In the end, it's, you know, it's, it was all done by, um, through a, you know, a hearing process and Ultimately, that decision was made for the dismissal, but it was definitely a, a very grueling um, process, and you have people that will never forgive you for, um, for some of those decisions that you make as a leader because of how it impacts um, somebody that they know or that they've disagreed with that decision that you've made. Yeah, no, that's that's definitely true, and and you're absolutely right. Those those decisions are really tough, but ultimately, if it's in the best interest of kids, I think we all know that's what we what we have to we have to do. So let me ask you, kind of on the flip side. So you you you've got obviously as we as we've talked about a very distinguished career in Triad. If you had to point to one thing that you're just most proud of when you look back on your your leadership there, what would it be? It would be that. The educational referendum that was a success in 2015, and the reason I the reason I think that that is what I'm most proud of is because, as you know, um, you know, being able to, you know, financially stay in that balanced budget is is very difficult these these days, and it, it was actually very difficult when. Um, the first few years that I became superintendent, I started and it was, we were doing okay. But then if, if you remember in that time of 08, 09, many districts were, were having a difficult time financially. And we hadn't, Triad had not successfully passed a tax referendum 
educational tax referendum since the 60s. They had tried probably four times previous to 2015, different superintendents, some um, a couple in the 80s, a couple in the 90s, times in the 90s, and they were defeated every single time. So um, the district was successful on brick and mortar referendums, and we have very nice buildings and facilities, but not um, for the educational. So our um, educational tax rate was basically what the, I, I believe it was $1.64, which was the, um, at one time the district, like in the 60s, did raise it to that because that was what they could raise it to at that time. Um, so we certainly had one of the lowest educational tax rates and, and we, we were working with a $2 million deficit that we couldn't dig ourselves out of. And we just had, you know, the era money helped us for a while um, and we were now to a point um, getting into 2015, close to 2015, where we were gonna have to make drastic, drastic changes. Whether we would close a school, um, we would have to cut back on our, our teaching staff um, tremendously, which you know what that means. It, class sizes go up, programs get cut, electives um, go away. And we, it just was, it was essential. And we had to convince everybody that we needed to um, have this educational tax increase. And so we set out our campaign and um, we were successful. So it, it was definitely something that took a tremendous amount of time and, and strategic planning. I spent a lot of time looking at all of the past failed referendums to see what, to see the pattern and um, look at that, those patterns and to make sure we didn't make some of the same mistakes. When you're doing a referendum, you tend to follow scripts of how to pass a referendum. And we did not hire a firm. We didn't hire anyone to come in and help. We, we didn't really have the money to do that. So we just decided that we were going to take on the challenge and, and we did, we found a good core group of community members and, and faculty and then central office people to lead the charge and our board of education, obviously. And we led the charge and um, it passed. Well, that's great. And also probably aside from just how the referendum was run, probably is also a testament to just trust in the community for the district. And I mean, that mm -hmm. is something that, you know, you you built over a long period of time. And I think that, uh, you know, when referendums happen in a vacuum where there's not trust, no matter how good you are at running them, you're not going to pass them. And so um, I think that's a great testament to your long leadership there. So we've talked about you now for a long time, but all leaders look to other people for inspiration. Who's a, who's a leader that you look to um, that's been a model for you, somebody that inspires you? Well, there's so many, there are, there are so many. And I, you know, I, I thought about this often and I, I look to def different administrators. One of my first um, superintendents, Dr. Daryl Hart, certainly um, was an inspiration to me and he continues to be, he works at McKendree College and I have many um, teachers and uh, I guess we have an administrator right now in the district that takes a, a class and mentions you know, different things that he might say during his class. And so we continue that connection. So I, I certainly hope that um, I could be a, a leader much like him that's just very dedicated and so inspirational to all the, all the students that he's touched both at, um, at, at a public school district level all the way up into the 
the college level. But I'm going to answer this question a little bit differently in, in the fact that it's my dad. Um, when I really think about it, it's my dad. My dad passed away two years ago. And um, and my mom passed away when I was much younger, much younger. But, but growing up in a funeral home and um, working with businesses like an ambulance service and, and answering, you know, uh, the fire phones and, and doing all of that. I will say that when I, when I reflect on myself as a leader, I can't help but think I learned so much from him. I learned about being compassionate, about caring about people. And, and when you need to really listen and care and, and show empathy for, for people and, and sometimes too, um, I watched my dad like help families that didn't have any money and be able to, to go through, you know, um, the burial process and so forth. And then I also know he, he, he belonged to every service organization in our community, every single one, Lions Club, Knights of Columbus, um, the Rotaries. I mean, he belonged to every single club. He helped in every community event that we had. He was on a committee. He was on a committee. He ran it. Now he always made me work and he always put me to work, which I, at the time didn't like, but when I reflect on that, it's exactly what I expect a lot from people. Um, so I've learned to, I've learned so many lessons now that I'm older than when I look back from him and he had very high expectations. He had high expectations of the employees that he hired. Um, and ones that didn't fit, he didn't continue to employ them, but the ones he employed, he, he always too would employ people that needed work, that absolutely were looking for some extra work or whatever it could be. Um, so he employed people in the community. Um, he also was the fire chief at, and he was a fire volunteer fireman, but then he eventually became the fire chief. So um, in a volunteer situation, he wasn't paid, but and he was the Madison County coroner, if you can imagine. Mm -hmm. so he had a lot going on. And yeah. he was so active in relationships. When I think about it, it was all about building relationships. He had so many relationships with so many people. And I think that um, what a legacy, you know, for him about those relationships. There wasn't anyone in our communities that didn't know him. Some, of course, didn't like him. Maybe because they, you know, didn't agree about something being a business person and being involved in, in leadership positions that he had in the community. So he had that too. But um, I certainly now, I, I feel so fortunate that I had a parent that taught me lots of lessons and, um, and, and provided a, a great childhood for me so that, you know, it instilled some things that I brought with me at, in my career. Well, I think that's a great inspirational leader. And I think so many of the things you mentioned earlier, it sounds like elements of those came from your dad. So mm -hmm. that's uh, that's great. Well, we've been talking today with uh, Lee Lewis on leadership lessons. And as we said, Lee's a superintendent of Triad in the Metro East area for 15 years. And Lee, I really want to thank you for spending time with us today on uh, Forward to the Future. And uh, we wish you the best uh, in retirement. Thank you. Thank you very much. And I've enjoyed being part of um, Luda and I've enjoyed mostly in my career too, um, just the networking of all the superintendents I've met over the years and the lessons I've learned from them. And I couldn't have done it without the networking and all the people that, that support each other in this profession. So thank you very much. Mm -hmm.